Hello and welcome to the History of Fun, where we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. Everybody in the world loves to do them. So do we. My name is Russ Frostick. I am joined by Allegra Frank. Hey, Allegra. What's up? What's going on? Not much. Not much. Chris Plant, what is going on with you? I'm doing okay, you know? I guess. I don't really know. <laughs> uh, I'm trying a different persona today. It's a more active, more upbeat persona, more thrilling. What do you guys think? Shock, jock, radio, Russ <laughs> Rushdick, and the Gooch. <laughs> the Gooch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, you know what? There's nothing more shocking than the day Nintendo reveals. No! What are you what? doing? What? Are you kidding me? It's in the title. How do no? How do I start every episode? Come on, Russ. I know, but I was gonna lead it. Come into, on, I was Russ. gonna lead you in though. That's what my intro is. It's a lead in. It's a, it's like oh, I wonder what this thing is. You're like but okay. It's so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say what it is, and no, 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 that'll lead you in to you adding the mystery. It's on the title. People download the podcast, uh, and it's I right there in the title. I had the Gooch introduce this episode. <laughs> okay, maybe next week the Gooch will come back. Go for it, Chris Pine. Do your thing. Okay, here it is. A little aperitif. Four years of development on hardware. That's a long time. The tragic death of one of the industry's greatest inventors. That is sad. I'm talking about the gaming industry. I just realized I said the industry. That might sound like <laughs> Holly Weird. I'm not talking about Holly Weird. Also, Blockbuster Video. Now I am talking about Holly Weird Blockbuster Video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My favorite. Um, we're talking about the Virtual Boy this week, and if there is one thing I want everybody to remember, it is that the Virtual Boy is not real virtual reality, which is important, because if it were virtual reality, nobody would listen to this episode or read about it, because nobody cares about virtual reality on so the internet. What you're saying, what you're saying is got data. it's not a virtual, it's not about virtual reality, it's also not a boy, correct me if no, I'm wrong. Um, no, there is no evidence that a boy's soul was kept inside of this object. We can't prove it. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that they didn't sacrifice. Sacrifice? Sacrifice. <laughs> means they didn't sacrifice a little boy to the, to the video game boy. Oh, he's an Oliver character now. <laughs> okay, here, here, here it is. Our story. It begins before Nintendo had even become synonymous with video games so they're making cards a, it's a pre-allegra story if you will mm-hmm. it's 1985 cambridge massachusetts wait isn't that pre-chris plant as well i was born in 1985 the year of chris plant the year of me <laughs> 1985 cambridge massachusetts people cambridge. are cheering on the philadelphia well, no the new england patriots Drew <laughs> Bledsoe is Eagle. not even a quarterback yet uh, and an engineer by the name of Alan Becker is he he, he enters stage left. He he is salt and pepper hair. He got he's got a goofy smile. Got big glasses. He looks like probably everybody who studies in Boston, I guess, or Cambridge. Are you looking at a photo of him? Is that where you're getting this description? I did. I looked at a photo of him, and then I was like, I got to get this guy down, this generic engineer, who I'm sure <laughs> was a very nice guy. I should not trash him. Seems like a lovely man. Um, he wanted a small, high-res display that would attach to a portable computer. Now... I'm going to start right, right up top. 
got some trivia. When did he think uh, would be the perfect... Where, not when. Where did he think would be the perfect place to use uh, such an invention? Airplanes. Uh, I'm going to say, like, a classroom, because Cambridge. Yeah, neither of you right. The answer is on a plane. Wait, I literally said airplanes. No, didn't hear it. (laughs) Are are you kidding me? I guessed it exactly right. (laughs) Nope, it was on a plane. Laptop screens stink at this point. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with you, Chris Plant? Laptop screens they are bad they are monochrome green they are low resolution mostly they are essentially just huge briefcases uh made of metal and plastic they're totally impractical a uh, true story my dad brought uh, a home laptop when i think i was like three or four uh and the novelty of it was that it was so small it could fit on our kitchen table oh my god it took up the whole kitchen table <laughs> like wow so small uh, it played a terrible Ghostbusters DOS game. Um, I think it was DOS. It was blurry, and it was hideous, and I remember like feeling like I was going to throw up when I looked at it. Um, wait, well, how is, wait, but it was a laptop? It was a laptop, but it looked... Imagine, like, you know, like, old-school 1960s luggage? Yeah. Imagine that, and then you flipped it open, and inside was, like, a very big screen. Okay, so I guess Andre the Giant's lap would probably be big enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you could not put it on a lap. It would crush you. Um, CRTs, so like, to give you some more context to this time period, CRTs are like what you would picture of a TV before flat screens. They're huge. They totally ate up batteries. Um, LCDs were essentially not a thing. So Becker is like, what else can I use? What about LEDs? Uh, yep. Or light emitting diodes that essentially display as pic- pixels. This is decades before OLEDs, which people know as like nice TVs now. Back then, when you thought LEDs, you were like, oh, I know LEDs. Scoreboard display. Or light bright. Or light bright. Yeah. It was not um, what you would think of as a, a traditional display. Um, for some context, Becker had worked with uh, Ray Kurzweil in the 1970s on the first flatbed scanner. Uh, and the way that worked, a single line of 500 diodes would scan a page line by line, reconstructing a digital image. And this is from a very great Fast Company uh, feature on the History of Virtual Boy that we'll be referencing throughout this. Um, <clears throat> it said... With this technique brewing in his mind, Becker conceived of a display that consisted of a single line array of LEDs that could optically print a persistent image onto a person's retina by changing the pattern of lights that lit up while sweeping across a given area. But, instead of moving the LEDs themselves, he decided to move a reflection of the LED with a mirror that oscillated back and forth 50 times a second. He called his device the Scanned Linear Array, SLA. Very catchy. Due to the nature of LEDs, it could present a very bright, very sharp image at a high resolution for a potentially low price if mass produced. And arguably high resolution was relative at the time. Yeah, we're not like talking 4K. (laughs) (laughs) But like, if you think of this compared to like a Game Boy. Yeah. Much higher resolution than that. Mm-hmm. Like a game man. Mm, yes, he, nor game teen. 
painting. <laughs> oh, he's so mean. He has such great taste in things. He makes me feel inadequate. Um, so Becker doesn't have the cash to make his own LED arrays. So he goes to what's available and cheap. Red arrays commonly used for printers. Thus, the notorious red graphics of what would eventually become the Virtual Boy. Wait, why were red used in printers? Um, I, I think because just... Uh, I, I think I'll get into this a little bit later, but I believe that reds were just common and they were the easiest to produce. Yeah, the red, the, the red thing, uh, it's kind of interesting because it, it's throughout, and you might be talking about this later, but it's throughout the entire design, right? Because the shell is red. This, everything, when you put the screen on, is red. I mean, it's, it's horrifying to look at. Well, I think that, yeah, I think that's because they are stuck with these red displays. And like, well, I guess we'll just lean into that. And it was just cheaper. It was even cheaper than doing like the normal like, Game Boy display. Well, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, so Becker makes a prototype. He gets some investment cash. Um, he gets support from the director of the MIT lab, Media Lab at the time. So uh, at this point, people are paying like pretty good attention to him. Um, he gets a company started. Uh, they're working from a basement of a bakery. They're called Reflection Technology Inc. Because the reflection of the mirror. Yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> He collects a bundle of experienced team members uh, specializing in sales, engineering, research, um, and they decide, hey, we are going to focus on enterprise sales. So not like what the Virtual Boy is at first. Uh, it's kind of similar. Well, I guess it's a flip-flop of what Microsoft has done with HoloLens. When we first saw HoloLens, they're like, oh, yeah, Minecraft, video games. And uh, now they're like, mm, we don't really want to talk about any of that. Uh, we're going to focus this on doctors and engineers and pilots, um, people who need to see information while their hands are busy with something else. Or another way of putting it is we don't want to sell a lot of these, but the ones we do sell, we want to sell for a lot of money. Right. Yeah, you could um, sell it for 30 grand, whereas a consumer virtual reality product, maybe $300. Yeah. Uh, they call it the private eye. <gasps> I'm watching you. Private I'm so eye. 85. I wasn't is that like how close is that to that awesome song? Because that's got to be like right there. Oh, I didn't think about that. I thought you meant how close is it to that song? Is in like that song is about a like small heads up <laughs> display. Well, let's see. He's wearing sunglasses and oh wait, no, that's a different song. Never mind. No, that's, a, that's not even the same. Oh my gosh. I'm okay. okay. I feel left out. I don't even know this song, you guys. No, it's okay. Wow. <laughs> We, well, Chris, Chris Bryant will sing it for you afterwards. Okay. More. <laughs> watching you, watching you. Prototypes. <laughs> Let's talk about prototypes. So a one-inch display, it looks like a 12-inch screen from a foot and a half away. Uh, upgrades. <laughs> it's a different time, baby. Uh, the early version looks like essentially a torture device. Uh, uh, picture like a metallic bar. Holding this one inch screen to your forehead, another bar coming across your eyes, uh, which is like kind of holding the screen itself. Um, and it looks like somewhere between like welding glasses or uh, jewelry magnifiers. But oh, like yeah. Kind of like a Google Glass, right? Well, uh, kind of, yeah, go- that's very generous. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, too generous. Um, they made a refined prototype. And it looks shockingly similar to uh, Google Cardboard from the outside, hmm. uh, except for you look into a single tiny hole in the box. 
like you hold it up to your face strange yeah that's um, terrifying in a finalized version it looks like a strap around the forehead um with a bar sticking out almost like you know headset microphones yeah picture that but where the microphone would go is a screen and instead of holding it in front of your mouth it like sits in front of your eye like four inches away. Oh. yeah that sounds fun so it, it became, you could kind of picture, it looked like something that, you know, like they might have in Aliens. Yeah. Um, Becker has these prototypes. He starts traveling the world in search of clients. Uh, he has a big showing at Comdex. Uh, he gets press in PopSci and PopMech. Uh, dev kits go out, display, headband, a kit, computer interface board for them. Um, so things are moving. How much do you think one of these dev kits cost? Oh, boy. Mm. I'm gonna guess three grand. Oof. Uh, I'm gonna say eight grand. Wow! Split the difference. Five k. Yeah, okay. we're getting pretty good at the guessing game. I gotta yeah. say. Yeah. Um. For all the hype, it, it never quite catches on. I'm sorry. Wait. You said you're getting good at it. That's the first one that anybody got right in this episode. <laughs> well, no one really. First of all, I got the airplane th- airplane thing exactly right. And secondly. <laughs> We were pretty close. Uh, I, the impression I get is that there is no hype. It's just this dumb idea that this well, guy there's, had. There's hype in like the sense that, like, you know, some some tech mags are writing about it. Okay, like, sure. But it never quite catches on. I mean, they do sell some dev kits mostly because there's no great software that takes advantage of it, which yeah. is the ultimate problem yeah. of most hardware. Uh, the, and also, like, what was the ideal scenario? Like. With Hololens, you could sort of see like, oh, if you're a doctor, it could like do a heads-up display. But for this, it's just a screen. So like, what screen would you need to see that close? I I I mean, I think they saw something like similar doctor scenario of like, oh, you could have text or images that would help you while you're doctoring. Um, yeah. But I I think the bigger problem is the difference between this and Hololens is Microsoft is a software company, mm-hmm. so you know to prove out an idea they make gobs of software alongside it and then other people are like oh okay there's gonna be at least some ecosystem before i me startup todd throw my pennies (laughs) behind this thing yeah Uh, you know that i mean that's what it's all about it's all about pleasing todd the startup todd Mm. typical todd todd the startup god (laughs) (laughs) i am todd the startup god (laughs) (laughs) um okay so it's vr time that like that that is the period that we are in in the early 1990s (gasps) for some reason that sounded very far away are we gonna talk about dactyl nightmare what are you gonna talk about dactyl nightmare no Oh, okay, that was my first VR experience in the early 90s. I was so okay, excited. How about at the end of the episode, you can tell us about that? Yeah, okay. this is about plant rusts. <laughs> yeah, it's my time to shine. <laughs> um, it's the early 1990s. VR is a new hotness. You could like, go to a mall and pay like 20 bucks for a VR experience. I did. What was it called? Dactyl Nightmare. <laughs> oh, interesting. You can tell us about it at the end of the episode, Todd. Uh, the team at Reflections decides to kind of like ride this wave. So they make a game that runs on a PC. They use two private eyes stuck to a welding mask. in uh, a rough version of head tracking, which is a thing that VR is like pursuing now, uh, was going on back then. 
So this is a tank game. Imagine yourself, you are in darkness with this, this welding mask. No light is getting in, and you have these two private eyes. You feel like you are in tank world. Um, and it works well enough that they essentially pivot private eye to be a toy, and they start shopping it to Mattel and Hasbro and Sega, and none of those pan out. Um, the head tracking is slow. It's making people nauseous. It's also only one color. It's red. Mm-hmm. But it does attract the attention of a single very important person. Do you know who that is? Uh, I'm going to guess Shigeru Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. Did I, I guess like it? Uh, ooh. Ooh, isn't it the guy who made the Game Boy? Yes. Gunpei oh, Yokoi. Okay. You got one right. Gun- Good job. Gunpei. Yeah. Gunpei Thank Yokoi. You. <laughs> uh, he is the creator of Game & Watch and Game Boy. And uh, before Nintendo even got into video games, many other Nintendo products. I believe he invented Nintendo's uh, Claw Gripper. You know, oh, like, yeah, like, the, the, like, the uh, claw game. Arm, and then you could like grab things with a claw. Ugh. I think he made that for Nintendo. I could That's awesome. Um, at, the t- at this like, period in time, uh, Yokoi runs Nintendo's primary R&D squad. And he is famous for using cheap, older tech in creative ways. That was the hook for the Game Boy. Uh, the moment the Game Boy came out, it was technically out of date. Um, which made it affordable and popular. Didn't have a It's basically line. like the Nintendo way. Like it's still the case today that they use older, like not the highest to high tech, mm. but in original ways. Yes, correct. Um, and uh, the the Fast Company story that I referenced earlier, it provides some really great context on this. That at the time, uh, Yokoi felt like he was at odds with the industry, which was emphasizing graphics and hardcore players. He was considering his retirement and doing his own thing. This is the period going into the Sega Saturn and the Sony PlayStation. So there, there was a certain, like, matureness and, like, I don't know. I would say kind of almost a self-seriousness. Games are, se- are important. Yeah. Yeah. And they're adult. And they're Crash tough. Bandicoot's very serious. <laughs> how sassy he is. <sighs> He There's yells at Nintendo from the parking game. lot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Twice, you have to yell at the boss. Um, he wants something more accessible and simple, um, focusing on play and fun. And he also sees LEDs as having a huge advantage um, because when you turn them off, they present as a true black tone. So, like, if you think of, like, an, a, a normal screen, right, when you're trying to, like, show black on a TV, it's not really black. It, like, people who are obsessed with TVs are like, ah, oh, true, true, a uh, true black, because, you know, it looks like your TV's not even on in that area. Sure. And for here, it's like, well, it isn't on. The light's just off. Um, <laughs> which allowed for death, depth. So, if you put your face into this thing, right, and your face is totally surrounded, there would be the appearance of no more screen. There would just be oh, objects that are lit right. up. So if there was red characters, they existed not just like depth of field going forward and backwards, but in a weird way, it created a sense of 360 space, even though you couldn't yeah. turn your head necessarily because you couldn't see edges to a screen. It was like floating. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. Thank you. So <laughs> great job. It's too bad you didn't guess any of the things, but you did a great job. Um, 
It is go time. Nintendo purchases an exclusive license for games on wherever this hardware is. Uh, it is a $10 million advance royalty, and Whoa. they uh, grab a minority stake in Reflection. Oof. Reflection gives the project a secret name, Dragon Project. Oh my god. <laughs> is a bit much. Um, <gasps> Nintendo's codename for it is merely VR32, which will be uh, odd considering it is not virtual reality. Um, 32 is, of course, referencing 32 bits. It's going to have a 32-bit processor, which is uh, PlayStation and Sony at the time. Um, Yokoi initially wanted goggles with head tracking, with a freedom to walk around. Quickly realized <laughs> that's not going to work for a number of reasons, including a fear of high radio emissions near the head. It was a different time. Wait, what? What is that about high radio emissions? I, I, that was like a concern. Okay, Again. but how does like if your head is in it on the table, what, how is that different? Oh, the, no, no. At this time, it would just be like you would wear it as goggles. This is not on the table yet. Oh, you'd be walking around and it would like have head tracking built in. And you'd be like strolling around. Sure. Um. Then they were like, okay, what if we shoulder mounted it? Like, I guess, like, a neck brace? Uh. Well, they had, done, they had done the super scope, which was arguably kind of shoulder-mounted, uh, yeah. so I guess they were kind of ready for it. Yeah, but here they were like, uh-oh, what if kids were, had it shoulder-mounted, and they were in their room upstairs, and then they just, like, fell down the stairs. <laughs> and, like, the glass is, like, shattering into their eye holes, and, like, blood <laughs> everywhere. Oh! Yeah, wow, that seems that's not gonna work. Yeah, that's not a good um, idea. It's the blood that didn't work. Uh, the so the plan shifts, and they're like, "Okay, got it. We can't have kids bleeding everywhere. What if we put it on the tabletop?" Uh, and like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And this could have been a huge opportunity, right? Because suddenly it doesn't need to be nearly as portable. Um, they could add way more computing and graphical power. But the powers that be at Nintendo are like, eh, we've already invested so much into this design, and it has battery power, which is a plus. For what reason they think it's a plus, I have no clue. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, let's just keep it how it is. The only difference is now this portable thing is stuck on a table. Um, there's a quote in, in this Fast Company thing uh, from Japanese author uh, Yokoi biographer uh, i believe the name is takafumi makino um from what i heard there were a lot of skeptical opinions raised during the development process says makino even mr yokoi admitted that he himself felt uneasy during development he described it as a kind of hiri hiri feeling this is an, an, an onomatopoeia that only exists in japanese but think about it as the sort of feeling you would get when being cooked slowly over a frying pan Ugh. Cooked slowly over a frying pan, so Ooh, he was miserable. Ooh. Yeah, he was miserable. <laughs> That's not uneasy. That's you're dying and you're miserable. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm like these problems just kind of keep on piling up. Nintendo management just is not making it easy for him at all. Um, Nintendo wants confirmation that it won't it, that like this isn't harmful to eyes. Sure. But here's the thing. I think this is the sort of thing that you ask for before you buy a minority stake in a company. Yeah. <laughs> they hire a doctor from Boston Eye Institute. And the doctor finds that it's mostly fine, except, and I quote, 
Children whose optic system had not yet fully developed, which happens around ages 5 to 7, could develop lazy eye if the two displays were misaligned vertically. Oh, no. no. That sounds bad. It's for a small chunk of kids, but kids, and it specific scenario. The virtual boy got a rigid case, so this couldn't happen. So that's why it has that like hard plastic case that it has. Oh, in case it got shifted. Yeah, so the displays don't misalign. So essentially, the problem is fixed. I guess Um, I didn't realize. So the virtual boy is two two screens in there. Yeah. Okay. Um. So Nintendo's legal team asks for warnings on the box anyway, saying the system shouldn't be used by children under seven. Sure. Cover their asses. Yep, because of strict Japanese law, they add a bunch more warnings. Uh-oh. And a timer in the system that reminds players to rest their eyes every 15 minutes. Oh, oh typical God. Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you got up and moved in a while? Yeah. Shut up, Nintendo. I'll do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 1994 at this point. Uh, Sega Saturn, Sony PlayStation, they are on the way. Nintendo 64. It's not even called that yet. I believe it's called Project Reality. I believe that's right. It's still a ways off. Um, as a result, <clears throat> Virtual Boy is treated like a stopgap internally. It's not really given much support at all, uh, especially from Nintendo's best designers like Miyamoto. They contract Intelligent System, who that was the team that helped with the original Metroid. Yeah. Um, and they create, as the showpiece of their new system, Space Pinball! Woo! Yo, that sounds great. You know what I find funny about it is they wanted, like, they're like, hey, we have this amazing system in which there are no borders to the screen. <laughs> We're going to create a pinball table. <laughs> well, not only that, they also uh, had a tennis game, yes, right? Mario yeah. Tennis. Also tons of borders in that one. <laughs> yep. Um, so, ironically, uh, corporate also wants to target the hardcore audience. So, yep. the entire thing that Yokoi did not want is like happening. It is, I imagine, a nightmare for him. Yeah, because like what casual person is just gonna like put their face into this thing? I mean, yes, true. Uh, (laughs) I I think that is like the same thing that's happening all over again with virtual reality. Yes. Oh, the empathy machine (sighs) that nobody will want to use except for you dirty nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Um at the end of the year, the Virtual Boy, it's shown to the public in Japan, that doesn't go well. Uh-oh. Um, I mean, think about, like, what's happening here, right? It's a 32-bit piece of hardware. That's what, People know it's 32-bit. It has the word boy in the, in the name. So yep. press are expecting a 32-bit, which is Saturn and PlayStation, a rival to that. Game Boy 2. Uh, essentially, yeah. And, but in, uh, at the same time, they expect it to be pretty nice, because, uh, and something like more mobile, because they know Nintendo is working on a 64-bit console. Mm. So they hear, boy, they know that Nintendo's working on a 64-bit console, they hear 32-bit, and they're like, man, this is gonna be one hell of a Game Boy follow-up. <laughs> but, it, even though it is 32-bit, it has to render the two screens. So it, it kind of does look like just a Game Boy. Like a, a cleaner, crisper, sure. red Game Boy. Um, and people are like, yikes that is not what i was expecting at the same time nintendo announces a planned price of two hundred dollars and expectations to sell three million units Uh. and at this time 
Game Boy plus Tetris sells for $60. Oh, oh my God, my really? God. Wow, um, I didn't realize it was that cheap. <laughs> was the Virtual I, I, Boy coming with a game too or just the hardware? I'm trying to remember if it actually came with the thing. Uh, uh, let me. I might have that in my notes. I think it did come with a game off the top of my head, but I'm not sure. But still, to, I, uh, when you say $200, though, for a new device, that doesn't seem crazy to me. Like, I don't think, like, I feel like the original Game Boy at launch was probably around there. I think $200 for a, like, major console works. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember what the SNES saw. So, yeah, I think the SNES was probably $199 at launch. Um, so but at this, this point, is the future. It's the future. It's the future. It's a virtual boy. It's virtual, yeah. but it's not virtual. Um, it's also stuck to a table and you need to put your face to it. Also, it's going to make you think that your eyes are going to fall on your socket. <laughs> um, so this time, the New York Times previews it. They call it a, New York Times, the history of New York Times video game coverage. Truly uh, exceptionally bad, that is. Oh, God, I'm swerving. They call it a low-priced virtual reality system. Thanks, New York Times. Wow. Uh, here, here's a uh, quote. The only similarity between this new game and the existing Game Boy product happens to be the second half of its name, said Peter Main, Nintendo of America's vice president of marketing. This is a new genre of game playing device. Mm. Um, the the oh story is a mess. It calls the Game Boy a 16 bit system. No. It paints uh, a crowded year ahead, hinting at Sega Saturn, Sony's entrance to the market, the 3DO, and Nintendo's own project reality. So. Even the New York Times he was like, hey, seems a little dense right now. A little competition. Not, not sure about this. Um, it also says that the plan is for the Virtual Boy to have three games at launch, with three more games each month, um, which is some real healthy perspective for when people get grumpy about current launches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, the thing from there, it just kind of floats. It shows at CES in January 1995. Mixed interest. Um, more and more frustration that, hey, this is not actually VR. Like, tech folks are kind of getting wise to it being marketing. It's just a stereoscopic display. Here's what it looks like. Uh, it is a large red visor made of hard plastic with soft black rubber uh, eye rests, essentially, that kind of wrap around your eyes. It, it's similar-ish to a modern VR headset in shape, except for the headset, uh, as we said, doesn't strap to your head. Sits on a tripod. Um, you sit down, I guess, at your breakfast nook. Um, put the device on the table in front of you, and you put your face up to the visor. Um, it kind of looks like half a bike helmet. Like if yeah, you cut yeah, a, belt, a bike yeah. helmet in half. <laughs> I, I like to call the process face docking. <laughs> um, the, controller, the controller is interesting. It looks like a cross between the SNES controller and the GameCube controller. It's oh. like very thin. It feels kind of cheap. It's black, but it does have two black D-pads and two gray buttons and two red buttons. So it's like pointing towards the dual stick kind of controls. Not that it Yeah, really I, remember, it. I remember seeing it and being like, I, none of the games seem like they would make use of all of those buttons, but... I guess they were planning for the future. Sure. I mean, you got to plan for something. <laughs> um, the, okay, let's talk about the release. July 1995, it arrives with a fizz in Japan. Uh, thanks to media focusing on all of those warnings, obviously. Um, and, and, and as I said, what happens with the tech press happens with the public here. 
people were expecting uh, something closer to like a really revamped Game Boy. And Nintendo, there, there's a, a solid feature on Now Gamer that suggests that even Nintendo itself had kind of hinted at it being portable. Uh, and what they really meant was transportable. Like, yeah, you could oh. take it with you somewhere. It does work out batteries, but you'll definitely not like want to <laughs> use it while you're on the subway. Um, so that's a bummer. Um, I guess it's like, like no one would bring an NES with them to a friend's house, but arguably you could bring this to a, a friend's house. Yeah, yeah, it has its own screen. Um, August 21st, 1995, launches in the U.S. with a final retail price of $179.95. Blockbuster, mm. I think, let, this is famously lets you rent them. I think that's how almost everybody experienced the Virtual Boy. Yeah. Um, I did this. I remember it being very expensive. Um, came in a huge, hard plastic piece of luggage. Um, I feel like it was like 30 bucks to rent it yeah, for a weekend or something. I think you're right. Just for a and, weekend? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was up there. And it felt really weird putting it up to your face cuz it's like, oh, somebody rented this for me. Yeah, I also whenever <laughs> I rented it, I would lick around the eyes just in case. Yeah, and that's yeah, what I did to. too. <laughs> because I wanted to get the residue of the previous owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um by October 18th, the price drops to $159. Oh no. Um and good news, it was beating the Sega Saturn. <laughs> man that is telling (laughs) um in december nintendo leadership is just like no we're done we're we're nixing this in japan um naturally yokoi is crushed oh (laughs) he knew it needed like marketing from the top um he was disappointed that he didn't get the opportunity to actually like make a game that took advantage of these features which like that's the saddest part, right? Yeah. That he saw this thing and he's like, "Oh my gosh, there is a way to completely rethink how we make games here." Uh, and here's this absolutely brilliant uh, designer in person. And not only like is the thing he spent four years on killed, but he like didn't even get a chance to prove it out. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. By na- May 1996, it's 99 dollars in the U.S. Um. And by August 96, Nintendo just has totally given up on it. Um, Alan Becker is shocked. I mean, this had all happened, if you think about it, pretty fast. Yeah. So this guy had made this thing, spent years trying to get anybody to, like, take it, finally gets into production, and then, like, immediately flops. Oh. Does he have and to he give to those, think, like, the $10 million back? Or can he keep that? I think he keeps it. I mean, that's an advantage. That's so pretty good. Like, he yeah, can't he be that upset. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, Aftermath... Yokoi feels obligated uh, to produce a success for Nintendo, so he wanted to retire even before this, and he's like, oh, dang. Now I gotta, like, make something good that they're all happy about. And he creates the Game Boy Pocket the Hell same year. Yes. Oh my god, yes. this guy. Yeah. He uh, definitely delivers on that. And then, right after that, August 16th, 1996, he resigns. <laughs> He's he like, resigns. There you go. Game Boy Pocket. Take it. Get out he of my retired, face. He retired, though. He was an old guy. Yeah, like, wait, he was did ready he retire to be done. or he resigns? No, he resigns because Yokoi would then form Koto Laboratory with an R&D1 PAL, Nintendo's R&D group, and they would make what would become the, the Wonder Swan. Swan. Yeah. Oh. Nailed it. Yes. Youth. 
Yokoi um, should have should have gone out on top. Missed well, out. Well, it's going to get really sad for a second here. Oh, no. Uh, on October 4th, 1996, he gets in a minor car accident. While he and the driver are checking out the car, another car <gasps> kills him. Oh. He dies at the age of 56. Oh, um, brutal. And if you Google this, I want to tell you one thing straight up. It was not a hit by the Yakuza. There is like a whole conspiracy theory about this involving the Yakuza. It is sure. not that. Uh, it seems like someone in the Yakuza would say that, though. Try and take, to take credit, credit for, for it? it? Oh, my God. No, I mean, would, would draw people away from suspecting the Yakuza. Chris mm, Plant, what are you suggesting? That is a very <laughs> wild crackpot conspiracy theory about the death of one of the greatest designers of all time, but sure. Um, are you ready for some more sad news? Yes. Um, reflection technology. It runs out of money in 1997. And Becker began work on a new invention, but he himself dies of a oh. ruptured artery at the age of 53. Oh, my oh God. Man. It is really sad. It's the cursed virtual boy. Terrible. Jeez. Um, let's just very quickly talk about the rest of the virtual boy itself. Not that any of this matters by comparison to its creators. It estimates around 770,000 were sold worldwide. Only 140,000 of those were in Japan. So no. that would explain why Nintendo axed it there so quickly. Obviously, by comparison, Nintendo's other hardware has sold in the tens of millions. Yeah. Um, trivia. Really quick. Second lowest selling console for Nintendo. What was the first? Oh, boy. Good trivia. Um... Uh oh man. Now are we talking about like alt console like versions of specific consoles? Yeah, or like is this with like, like Game its Boy own micro release? count or that's Right. Yeah. Just 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 name a thing. Oh. Does Rob count as a console? No. <laughs> <laughs> it plays a game. Uh uh, I have no idea. Wow, what's worse than the virtual? Are boy? you ready? Yeah, there's a reason you're not guessing it. It wasn't okay. released here. The Nintendo 64 DD. Oh, oh the attachment on. for the N64. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the disc system. Um, uh, some, some that that that's the end of the story. We're gonna we're gonna get to our new section, obviously, in a second. Yay! Uh, but obviously, shout out the, the Fast Company feature on this. Uh, which is by Benji Edwards, is really fantastic. It's called Unraveling the Enigma of Nintendo's Virtual Boy 20 Years Later. It goes uh, very deep into all this, especially into uh, those early days. So if you're curious and want to know a lot more about the Virtual Boy's history, I definitely think that you should check that out. Um, Nowgamer.com uh, has a story called The Complete History of the Virtual Boy, and Gaming Historian on YouTube has a video on the Virtual Boy. It largely covers the same ground as uh, the Fast Company story, but the second half has uh, some impressions of Virtual Boy games and a lot of good video. So if you want to see what Mario Tennis looked like in, in real life or some of the other oddball games on it, that is a great place to check them out. 
And you, I would wait. I would also say if you happen to be in New York City and you make your way over to the Nintendo World Store, which is at Rockefeller Center, they do have a Virtual Boy upstairs as part of their museum collection. I would think that they wouldn't show it because they're too embarrassed. <laughs> but no, it's there. You can't <laughs> and you can check it, it out. But it's there. If you're, if you're yes. on Long Island and you are by my uh, my my wife's aunt Emily's. <laughs> fancy house and you're in their basement somehow they have an old blockbuster virtual boy demo unit and let me tell you it is the right place to play it there's no better place to play a virtual boy demo unit than in like your your wife's aunt's sad basement next to like a whole bunch of mothballs and boxes of oh shit. my god <laughs> um hey it's time for our new section do you want to intro that section fresh yeah, sure. This section is called Reader Only Memories. Wow, I okay. did not know we had discussed a theme song for that. Mm. Well, we we didn't. It was executive. <laughs> uh, so this is the section where we share people's memories about the topic of the day. And a thankfully, lot, so people, many people have a lot of people memories. Sent memories, and I appreciate them all. I'm I'm sad to say that I'm only going to read three because this episode's running long, but I promise we'll read more next time. Uh, and I also apologize up front if I get your names wrong. <laughs> um, first up, I've got Ty Farrell. He said, I found a virtual boy in the bargain bin at Target for $16 in 1996. Whoa. Whoa. I felt like I won the lottery. I love that it was portable. Or transportable, if you want to say that. <laughs> so I was able to take it on family road trips. And oh. Wario Land was a legitimately great platformer. That, see, that is a good point, actually. If you were like, oh, I have to go to my Aunt Emily's house and I have nothing to do, I'll bring my virtual boy. I'll hole up in like a guest room. The fact yeah, that he I... said road trips, though, like... To me, and also the fact that he said portable, I'm just imagining him sitting in the backseat of a car pressing this thing to his face, and I don't like yeah. that. That seems like instant puke to me. Yeah. Um, so, okay, well, I'll keep going. <laughs> Another one here from uh, John. He's at CT underscore blog. Um, I would prop up. Uh, pillows on my waterbed, turn the lights out, laying face down, playing Red Alarm until the headache would kick in. Uh, I bought my unit from Blockbuster Video in the big clamshell case. Came with Golf, Red Alarm, Wario Land, and Mario Tennis. I think it was twenty ninety nine for the unit and case. Good. Everything I know about golf, I learned from Virtual Boy Golf. I even played it in the family van with the battery pack so Whoa. I could get both headaches and motion sickness. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah i uh those golf games those early nintendo golf games are very good and from what i understand it was pretty similar to like nes golf game which was quite good so i'm not surprised i mean, unfortunately it was all red but mm. yes um this is from uh allison grosso a friend of the show good friend um, who who makes a point that i hadn't considered my cousin got one for christmas and i was so jealous and had to have my own because obviously, not only is it single player, it's single viewer. Tennis was the shit, though. Hope it didn't give me tumors. Um, <laughs> single, I, I hadn't considered the jealousy factor. That mm. it, by being single viewer, you're like, oh, I really want to play that, but I can't. Now I have to get one. 
Yeah, because like when you do VR now, there's usually a screen showing what the person's seeing, but right. obviously there, no, it was all mystery. Yeah. Um, the greatest marketing stunt ever. Unfortunately, when people actually used it, they were very disappointed. <laughs> uh, one last one from Brandon Warner. Uh, saved up for one and bought at KB Toys. Because it was so weird to use for extended periods leaning into it, I discovered the only comfortable way to play it was to lay on my bed. This is the second time we've heard this. Yes. Was it resting on my face? <clears throat> Parenthetical, this really bothered my parents, who had read about the eye strain. Ooh. If my parents found me on my bed like that, they would get really angry, <laughs> the, which understandably, um, the eye strain problem had gotten out to enough people that pretty much everyone who came into the house for a period of time would ask to try it, parenthetical, adults and children. I also remember certain friends' parents, once they found out we had a virtual boy, would forbid them from using it when they came to our house, fearing permanent eye damage. Wow. It was like wow. I had a sword in my room. <laughs> wait hold on how heavy was this thing like i'm trying to imagine how painful it would be to be lying down with it i don't think it'd face. be that bad okay i don't think it was that heavy yeah it wasn't like maybe a pound maybe i don't know i'd have to look it up but i will say this like panic around it i kind of buy that it was the eye stuff but this was like also around or maybe right after leading into the pokemon panic I think there was kind of this weird general, like, Japanophobia of this period, where it was, like, things coming from Japan, where it's like, oh, they're going to give you strokes, they're going to ruin your eyes, like, by, like, subtext, by American, these things will kill you. Um, Although, Japan did create that Pokemon episode that gave people seizures, so... Yeah, but no, my point was, like, that episode, did it even air in America? No. There was, like, all, there was all of this panic around that stuff that was... I, I would say if I didn't know anything and, and ki my kids were playing a game where the screen was an inch from their eyes, I'd be a little concerned. I don't think that's a crazy idea. No? Anyway. <laughs> Do you want to press a screen up to your young Russ child's eyes right again. now, Chris Plant? Have you, like, ever used a phone? There, I don't hold the phone an inch from my Have face. Have you ever watched any teenager use a phone? They don't do it. They don't yes, do that either. Do. It's, I beg they're not that Russ. close. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk. I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to put the phone up to my face and use this. Thing. <laughs> Private enough. eyes. I'm watching, watching you. you. Private <laughs> eyes. I'm watching, watching you. Watching you. Watching you. Thanks oh for joining God. us for History of Fun. We're a podcast. Yay. You can hear us every week. If you want to hear more of us, I don't know if you did this on the last episode, you can find us on Apple Music. We'd like you to leave a review. It's not like called Apple subscribe. Music. It's called Apple Podcast, Chris Plant. Mm. Oh my God. Apple Music is the other thing. That's the subscription service that Apple has where you can, it's like Spotify, but different. Yeah. So wherever you do it, just do I it. I think we just, might also be on Apple Music. Yeah, I think we are. And whatever you do, just leave a review. And you know what you can do? You can, like, tell us uh, a little story about one of the things that you've used from the previous episodes. Maybe we'll sneak that into an episode. I oh, just yeah. want to share your stories. Just share your stories with me so I can share them with the world. Until yeah. next time. Wait, I'm no, Russ stop. Frushdick. No, you're, no, no, no. He's Russ Frushdig, and Plant. she's Russ Frushdig. <laughs> First of all, we got to say the tagline. That's very important. Uh, but I did want to say, if you guys are not yet following each of us on Twitter, that's where we're going to be 
um, requesting individual uh, store individual stories for episodes moving forward. So if uh, you follow us, keep an eye out. You might see a topic come up that you have a great personal story to share on. So uh, yeah, do that. Make sure you do that. You can do that. Anyway, your, our tags on on Twitter are at plant. Oh yeah, sorry, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, tell them where they are at plant. Yeah, at, at plant uh, with an e. And then it's uh, at Russ Frustick. Good luck spelling that bad boy. And at Legs Frank, right? Mm-hmm. At Legs now Frank. Now for our for tagline. History of fun. We put the fun in fun story. <laughs> this has been the history of fun where we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. Thank you both. Thank you, Chris Plant, for his lovely retelling and quasi-hosting of the episode. Uh, All our best. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye.